This podcast is part of the Dark Myths Collective. Visit darkmyths.org to discover more shows like this one. The darkness awaits. History tells the story of the world and of our lives. Sometimes that history goes bump in the night. Broadcasting from the center of oddity and the supernatural in central Florida, it's the History Goes Bump podcast. Hello, you spooktacular people. Welcome to this 274th episode of the History Ghost Bump podcast, Ghost Tours for the Theater of the Mind. I am your host, Diane. On this episode, we're heading out west to another old mining town, which has pretty much become a ghost town. And this is Goldfield, Nevada. We're going to be checking out a location that was suggested by Anna Prado Frias and Melissa Potter, and that's the Goldfield Hotel. This hotel has a reputation for being quite haunted. Many of the ghost programs out there have visited and caught evidence. The fact that it's been mostly abandoned and hasn't been used for decades is hard to tell because it really is in fairly good condition. It definitely needs restoration. It needs a lot of love. And unfortunately, a lot of people have purchased the building in the past and promised to do all kinds of things with it. And then they haven't done anything with it. Or they get started and then they go bankrupt and it only gets partially done. Supposedly, it's on its way to reopening sometime in the future, possibly next year. So keep your fingers crossed and maybe you'll get to spend a night in the Goldfield Hotel in an actual bed and in a room and all that good stuff. Before we get into that, we have some people to welcome into the Spooktacular crew. We'd like to welcome Danny, Heather, Kathy with a C, Theodore, Allison with one L, Deborah with an A-H, Ringo, Dina with an I, and Heidi with an IE. Welcome, everybody. We're so glad to have you. If you haven't joined us at the Spooktacular Crew, we'd love to have you. And we have the viral trick-or-treat getting ready to go here. So if you're not part of the Spooktacular Crew, you can't participate in that. So join us. And now, this moment, Naughty. When the genius Albert Einstein died, his body underwent a formal autopsy. That autopsy was performed by Thomas Harvey. He photographed and weighed the brain, and then he decided that he wanted to study the brain further. He wanted to figure out what made Einstein tick. This was not something that was approved. That didn't stop Harvey. He ended up losing his job at Princeton Hospital because he had kept the brain. He didn't give it back. Rather, he took it home and took more photographs and sliced pieces of the brain up. He discovered several areas of the brain, such as the parietal lobe and sylvania fissures, that had grown larger than normal. Parts of Einstein's brain were absent as well. Scientists who heard about this later theorized that these absent areas allowed the brain's neurons to communicate differently and for Einstein to think in a visual way. After his thorough study, Harvey stashed the brain away at his home for the next 20 years. And that certainly is odd. You're not afraid of a little ghost, 
are you? And now, this month in history. In the month of September, on the 10th, in 1977, the guillotine falls silent for good. The last person executed with the guillotine was a Tunisian immigrant named Hamidi Dejandoubi, and he was executed at Bamay Prison in Marseille, France. Decapitating machines had been used as far back as before the French Revolution. The guillotine became popular during the French Revolution when physician and revolutionary Joseph Ignacy Guillotine won passage of a law that required that all death sentences be carried out by, quote, means of a machine. The first guillotine was tested on cadavers before it put the first person to death on April 25, 1792. Eventually, the machine would also claim Louis XVI and Marie Antoinette, the former king and queen of France. Use of the guillotine continued in France through the 19th and 20th centuries. France outlawed capital punishment altogether in September 1981. And there is a museum dedicated to the guillotine in Leiden, Sweden. Many consider the town of Goldfield in Nevada to be a ghost town, and with a population hovering around 200, it really does seem to be that way. This was once a boom town, though, and for several decades, millions of dollars in gold was mined here. During that boom, the Goldfield Hotel was built. This building is one of the few to have survived fire and time. Today, the only guests that stay here are those seeking a connection with the afterlife. Based on the experiences reported in the media and those that I've heard personally, the hotel's reputation for being haunted is well-deserved. Join me as I explore the history and hauntings of the Goldfield Hotel. The town of Goldfield is located in the state of Nevada. It's down towards the bottom in the southern part, over more towards the west, and it got its name for the gold that was found there. Goldfield was founded in 1902. By 1906, the town was booming, and over 30,000 people were living somewhere near Goldfield. Seems to be this same story with all of these boom towns. They find gold, silver, some other precious metal, and a town starts to get built up. And before you know it, you've got tons of people there, thousands and thousands and thousands. I don't know how they managed to go from a couple of people finding something to thousands of people. Usually the number is around 30,000, it seems like. How do you sustain that population? This is probably why there was a lot of crime that went on there and all kinds of stuff. It was in that year, 1906, that $11 million in gold was mined. All types of people were attracted to this spot in southern Nevada, from prostitutes to miners to outlaws. Buildings sprouted up all along the main street that included banks, hotels, there were three newspapers there, and of course, saloons with their attached brothels. One of those saloons was Tex Rickard's Northern, and it was said that it had the longest bar in town and probably the longest in any bar in the country at the time. It was so long that they needed 80 bartenders to service all the customers. Many people believe that's just a tall tale because it was not that big of a saloon. 
but I don't doubt that they might have needed a lot of bartenders to service all the people. If you're talking about 30,000 people, probably quite a few of them are coming to the bar there. This also happened to be a casino, so I think it probably had a lot of popularity in the town there. One of the banks was the Goldfield State Bank, which was opened by George Graham Rice. He was a former check forger and newspaper man who decided to become a mining stock promoter. So that's who you want to have opening up banks, a check forger. (laughs) He started the Sullivan Trust Company that was backed by mining stocks. It collapsed in 1907 and the bank failed, causing Rice to quickly leave town. It really does seem like the boom for Goldfield was very short, basically a handful of years. And this is probably part of the problem you got going on here, too. You got this guy who's got all these mining stocks, things start to go south, and all of a sudden his financials start crashing. And when these banks went down, it really affected the whole town. I believe one of the owners of the Goldfield had a bunch of banks as well, and they all failed, and it really affected Goldfield. One of Goldfield's claims to fame is that the Earp brothers were here for a time. The gunfight at the O.K. Corral had already taken place when Wyatt wrote his brother Virgil from Goldfield and told him that he should come because this is where, quote, money was flowing like wine. Virgil was over in California, and I guess that attracted him. He's like, hey, if money's flowing like wine, I'm coming. So he arrived in Goldfield in the spring of 1904 and was hired as a deputy sheriff. Wyatt was working as a pit boss in Tex Rickard's place that I just mentioned, working in the casino part. Virgil contracted pneumonia about a year after he got to Goldfield and he died, and this prompted Wyatt to leave Nevada. Now, in some accounts that I read about the Earp brothers being in Goldfield, they said that this was just a legend, that there was no historical documentation to prove it. So I don't know for sure that they were there, but it seems like a kind of boring thing to just make up. Usually legends are a little bit more exciting. I could see them talking about them coming there and getting into a gunfight in Goldfield or something like that. But just, hey, the brothers were here and both just worked steady jobs. Not real exciting. Another prominent resident of Goldfield was George Wingfield, and he built the Goldfield Hotel. The hotel stands four stories and is located at the southeast corner of Crook Avenue, which is U.S. 95, and Columbia Avenue. Muriel Jake Curtis and Georgie Holsworth were the architects, and they designed it in the classic revival style. Two earlier hotels had stood on the spot, but both had burned down, so there's not a lot of luck here. Good thing they're going to make this out of brick. The Goldfield was completed in 1908 and cost nearly $450,000 to build, which at the time was a huge chunk of change. And at that time, it was the most spectacular hotel in Nevada. And to demonstrate this reputation, champagne flowed down the front steps during its opening ceremony. The hotel also boasted that its U-shaped design ensured that each guest had an outside window. The exterior of the ground floor was built from gray granite stones, and the interior first floor facade and all upper story facades were built of red brick. The top floor has a white cornice. The front lobby was glorious with black leather upholstery, gilded columns, crystal chandeliers, and mahogany trim. There were 150 rooms that had pile carpet, and around half had private baths, and one of the first Otis elevators west of the Mississippi would sweep guests up the floors. The food was as opulent as the rooms, with special chefs coming in from Europe serving high-end meals such as oysters, lobster, quail, and squid at the hotel's main restaurant. And you can imagine at the time, in landlocked Nevada, getting that kind of seafood was a big deal. The population began to taper off in 1910 with around 5,000 residents. Goldfield Consolidated Mining Company shuttered in 1918 after producing $125 million in gold. A devastating fire swept through Goldfield in 1923 and burned down most of the buildings, except for the hotel. 
Newton Crumley bought the hotel after the fire and attempted to mine gold from beneath the building with no luck. By the 1930s, Goldfield was basically a flop house for wayward cowboys, and the population of the town was below a 1,000 people. The last people to take up lodging here were the family of officers stationed at the Tonopah Airfield during World War II. When they checked out in 1945, the hotel closed its doors to guests for good. On May 4, 1981, the Goldfield Hotel was added to the Nevada State Register of Historic Places, and in 1982 it was placed on the National Register of Historic Places. For 70 years, the hotel changed owners and has been dormant when it comes to guests. That is, if you don't count the paranormal investigators that have stayed here. I found a newspaper article that was from a year ago in September of 2017 talking about the current owner who is Red Roberts and the fact that he has begun a renovation to get the hotel back to a place where it could open once again. The work has started in the basement and the first two floors and the plan is to open at the beginning of 2019. Red was a rancher who purchased the property in 2003 for $360,000. And keep in mind that this was built for $450,000 back in the early 1900s. So it has really gone down in value. He has bought the parcels of nearby land as well, which has some people speculating that he will be expanding the hotel. The former gatekeeper to the keys to the hotel was Virginia Ridgeway. She was getting up into her 80s. She had broken her hips. She really couldn't take people through the hotel because she wanted to be with people if she was going to have them go through. Because obviously, this hotel has been stripped, vandalized, all kinds of things. So they're very protective of it in the town. She handed them over to Malik de Varparna, who is an antique shop owner in the town. One thing that seems to be almost certain is that while the Goldfield Hotel has not had any paying guests, there's certainly been some unseen guests still staying here. This Valentine's Day, Dunkin's got the perfect pairings to show your love. So get down on one knee with a dozen brownie batter donuts and a cocoa mocha signature latte. Or make them swoon with a strawberry dragon fruit Dunkin' refresher with a Cupid's Choice Donut. Are you ready for love? America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. Many paranormal investigators have come through, including Ghost Hunters, Ghost Adventures, and The Dead History's Jennifer Jones. And one of the listeners who suggested this location to me, Anna Frias, is going to be going there, I believe, next week or the week after with her paranormal group. So I'm looking forward to hearing what kind of stories they have about there. All of these investigators have captured some kind of unexplained activity. The main ghost story that is told about the hotel is clouded in legend with little proof. Apparently, George Winfield took up with a prostitute named Elizabeth, and he got her pregnant. He feared the scandal that this kind of news would bring for him, so he chained her to a radiator in room 109. And this room is said to be the most haunted in the hotel, for just this reason, apparently. He supplied her with food and water and kept her there until the baby was born. Some stories claim she died while giving birth, while others claim she was murdered by Wingfield. The baby was thrown into an old mining shaft. There's no specifics about where that mining shaft was located. As I told you, that Crumley character who bought the hotel, I think just so that he could mine underneath it, had built a couple of shafts underneath. Then I saw some claims on the internet that there were no shafts in the hotel, that there were some outside of it. But then I watched a video that clearly shows some kind of shaft inside the hotel down in the basement. So I haven't been in it. I don't know for sure. But to me, it did seem like there was a shaft, and I would think this would be the easiest place to dispose of a baby. The disembodied cries of that baby are said to be heard, as are the cries of Elizabeth, who wanted to be free of her prison. 
Photos show the ghostly image of a woman having long flowing hair, wearing a white gown, and looking terribly sad as she paces the hallways, calling out to her child. Now, the problem with this story and why I referred to it as possibly a legend with little proof is that we don't know who this Elizabeth is. We don't have any documentation for her. Many think that this Elizabeth refers to the daughter of a hotel manager who did live in the town. Probably not a prostitute, though. Did she have an affair with Wingfield and get pregnant? Possibly. But then the other thing we have that's a problem with the story is that Wingfield had already left the town by the time this Elizabeth pops up. So it does not seem like they were both in the town at the same time. So the possibility of them being lovers and her getting pregnant is pretty small. But that doesn't mean that we don't have this haunting going on here, especially if people have been hearing things, catching EVP and seeing pictures of what sounds like a woman in white to me. Could some other woman here have lost her baby and died in childbirth? It's possible. Maybe we did have a pregnant prostitute who came here and had her baby and lost it. I don't believe the story about Wingfield and Elizabeth being together and her being chained to a radiator is true, but there could be a female ghost here who is looking for her child. There is a room here named for George Wingfield. It's located on the first floor and is reportedly haunted by his ghost. I'm going to assume that this is still room 109. I didn't get anything to tell me that for certain, but 109 would be on the first floor. If this is where he chained her to a radiator, I'm just going to assume that this is room 109. Piles of fresh ashes have been found in the room, and the lingering scent of cigar smoke can be detected. Wingfield's spirit has been sensed near the lobby staircase also. Then there's this really weird story about two small children that have also been seen in the lobby near the staircase and such. They're said to be pranksters. They sneak up on people, tap them on their backs before giggling and running away. You're probably going, well, what's so strange about that? There's children ghosts in all kinds of stories that you've told. They do seem to like to giggle and run around and play. Well, these two children are accompanied by a little person. I don't know who this little person is. It's not another child. It is an adult. So I'm not sure what we have going on here, but it just seems like a weird story to have these two kids hanging out with a little person and that they all somehow died here and so are haunting here. The basement is really creepy with darkened hallways and these unfinished stone walls. There's a lot of construction going on down there as well. In one video I watched, there does seem to be a shaft in the basement, as I told you. The YouTube channel About Van Life visited the hotel, and they have a couple of videos up on YouTube that are really cool if you want to see what the inside of the hotel looks like today, or at least at the time that they went through. And like I said, it seems to be in really good condition for the fact that it hasn't really had anybody taking good care of it. The black leather upholstered furniture, some of it's still there. And it were like these uh, circular seats that would go around a pole. I'm sure you kind of know what I'm talking about. They used to have them in women's bathrooms and stuff, too, that were made out of cloth. These ones are made out of black leather. I imagine that there were quite a few of these all in the lobby. They look to be in really good condition, considering that they were black upholstery. You can see that the floors, they all look like they're made out of some kind of marble, are still in really good condition. But most of the building has, for the most part, been gutted and does need a lot of woodwork repair and love. You don't see the crystal chandeliers and the gilded columns anymore. About Van Life, when they were down in the basement, they said they felt like there was this kind of wind blowing down the basement. There was nowhere for it to be coming from. And it felt different than just a regular wind. It was kind of an icy cold one. And they thought that maybe it had something to do with being a haunting of some sort. 
And then they also claimed that they could smell some cigar smoke. And they made this comment down in the basement. So I don't know if the cigar smoke smell was down in the basement or if they were just talking about how they'd smelled it earlier. We do have a couple of suicides that happened here. One of those suicides took place in 1915. This was J.B. Finley. He was a hotel porter. And I believe the story about him was that he jumped from the roof of the hotel. So that's a four-story jump. So it would have been pretty deadly for him. The day after he died, some people said that they saw his ghost around. Now, I've heard in later years that people have seen his ghost as well. But the most well-known story about him is just that his ghost was seen the day after he died. Another suicide was committed by a woman who hanged herself in a room on the third floor. She's been seen by more than a dozen people. The Gold Room is on the third floor and has a specter of a man nicknamed the Stabber. He got this name because his ghost is said to lunge at visitors with his arm raised and he appears to be holding a large kitchen knife. No one has ever been harmed by it, but he is definitely scary. Generally, the ghost disappears right after it lunges, so that would be quite freaky. And it seems like in a lot of these places that have multiple ghosts, you've always got to have that one that's like the creeper, the stabber, the weirdo, something like that. Psychics have claimed for years that the hotel is some kind of a portal. And I don't know if that's because of the mine shaft that's there, but they do say that the mine shaft that is there is a gateway to hell. Of course, we've heard this about so many different shafts. Just because it goes down into the ground does not mean it goes to hell. (laughs) But that seems to be the interpretation of some. The Dead History caught some EVP, one of which might be saying hello. Now, I listened to this video. I'm not sure that I heard that, but I clearly heard a voice that was creepy. It was kind of moany, and it didn't seem to belong to any of the investigators. Jennifer wrote in her blog that they clearly heard voices at the top of one of the stairs as though a party were going on. And the women in the group kind of freaked out because their purses were up there. And they're like, "Uh uh-oh, somebody's gotten into the building and our purse is up there. They go up. There's nobody there. They thought, well, maybe they're hiding. They looked around. They didn't see anybody hiding. And then they noticed that the door was still bolted. So there was no way that anybody could have come in. So was this some kind of residual sound that they were hearing from the past? This would have been in the ballroom area. So it's easy to believe that they would have thrown parties in there. And maybe that's what they were hearing were just some of the residual sounds. The group also heard boots walking above them when no one was in that location. Down in the basement is where Ghost Adventures caught something kind of weird on video. They were making a documentary at the Goldfield, and they captured what appears to be a brick levitating in the air and then shooting across the room. And this was back in 2004, right when they were getting started. They've returned to the Goldfield a couple of other times as well and gotten some other strange stuff and felt weird when they were in there. I watched the video and it was very hard for me to tell what was going on. All I heard was Zach doing a lot of screaming and being very scared. There are people who've debunked the brick being levitated and thrown through the air. So I don't know that that actually happened or not, but I do have a link to that video if you want to see it in the show notes. I also have a link to Jennifer Jones' Dead History blog about their visit to the gold field. You'll be able to see some of the pictures that she took from inside there and watch the videos that they made as well. I don't think I've talked to anybody who's visited the Goldfield Hotel that hasn't had some kind of experience. I don't know if this is just because there's such a suggestion of things happening there that people think stuff's going on or if there really is something going on. But this was a place that definitely had a rich history when it comes to the boomtown. And we know from all of the histories that we've talked about with other ghost towns or former mining towns that became boomtowns, 
there was a lot of death, crime, you name it, people who were miserable, people who lost everything. So you've got a lot of emotional energy going on in these towns. It's kind of sad that it's so dead now. They really are hoping that the Goldfield Hotel will get rebuilt because maybe it'll breathe new life into the town. Be nice if they could get to be like Tombstone and set up an original Main Street and have shops there and people coming through and bring tourism in. I'd really love to see that happen for Goldfield. As you've heard, there are many stories of paranormal experiences at this hotel. Are these former guests and the owners still hanging out in the hotel in the afterlife? Is the Goldfield Hotel haunted? That is for you to decide. I encourage you guys to check out the website at historyghostbump.com. If you want to send me some feedback, you can do that at historyghostbump at gmail.com. And I did get an email from Meredith. She said, I love the podcast, making my way through past episodes. Just wanted to share a story of mine with you. In January 2018, I was awoken from my sleep one night by a voice that whispered just one word into my left ear, death. I instantly woke up because of the voice that sounded female and left me with a feeling that I could best describe as cold. I shook off the feeling and went back to sleep. But throughout this year, I've had four major losses in my life. First, my aunt, mother, childhood friend, and then stepmother. I don't know what this could mean, but it is an experience that stayed with me and I wanted to share it with someone. Thank you for the hours of awesome content. Well, thank you for sharing that with us, Meredith. And uh, boy, you know, hear these stories from the Spooktacular crew and listeners all the time. And it just really makes you wonder. She hears death in her ear and then she loses these. And it's a female voice. And then she loses these four females in her life. That is just bizarre. Was it some kind of premonition? Some kind of warning? I don't know. But uh, wow. Thanks for sharing, Meredith. I got a comment on the website from Rebecca. She said, I only found your podcast today and I am obsessed. Marilyn Monroe and Lilith are so amazingly awesome. I love your work. Well, thank you for tuning in, Rebecca. And those were a couple of my favorite episodes that I've done, especially the Lilith one. Really enjoyed doing that. I want to thank those of you who sent in your flash fiction for the contest. 17 of you did so. So I am looking forward to reading through those. Going to have a couple of other people join me in that. We will decide who our three winners are, and they will be announced on October 1st, which will be our four-year anniversary show. Really looking forward to sharing those stories with you. Heading over here to Apple Podcasts, and I do have a review coming in from Australia. This is by Boo Game Loft, five stars. Avid listener from Australia, an excellent podcast full of history, plus a little bit more. Detailed information about the featured place, person, or event, followed by the quirky, unusual, and paranormal information host Diane can uncover. Easy to listen to and plenty of episodes to get through for new subscribers. Highly recommend podcast. Well, thank you so much, Boo Game Loft. I appreciate that. want to thank you all for tuning in to this episode. I've been your host, Diane. You take care now. Bye-bye. This episode has been brought to you by our executive producers. Dispatches from the Grave Digger. We want to welcome into the cemetery, Kristen Calderon. You are getting a chest tomb. Want to thank AA Aaron for increasing your pledge. You will be getting a chest tomb as well. And thank you to Mary Williams for your one-time donation, all of which are very much appreciated. Hey, Mort, I've been hoping that people have been tuning in for the entire episode so that they can hear your commentary. And we're getting ready to announce a little joint endeavor that you came up with. Yes. And I'm really excited about it. It's going to be a special offer. It's going to be limited. People are going to have to get in on it in a two-week span. 
And then you're going to be doing a little something special for them. So I'm looking forward to sharing that with everybody. So keep tuning in for that. Mort is very excited. Be sociable. Drop the chain rattling, neck biting, and shape shifting. And join us on Facebook and Twitter at History Goes Bump. Like the page. <laughs> 